What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with yet another NBA team look ahead. Super excited, as always, to talk to Kanata Edwards about the Charlotte Hornets. He is a CBS Sports podcast producer. He's been on the show many times, so you know that he is prone to making bad life decisions. <laughs> Follow him on Twitter at Nata the Scribe. That's at N-A-T-A-T-H-E. S-C-R-I-B-E, not a described fun follow on Twitter talks about not just the Hornets, but the entire NBA and then just sports media at large. I appreciate his commentary all the time. I do not appreciate his jokes about Obi Toppin. Sir, 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 you were Ray Stance with with Ghostbusters on that one. You brought that on yourself and you want me to feel bad. You want me to feel bad on that one. Karmically, I deserve the Obi Toppin one. I will not be tempting fates this year because the past two years, I don't remember what it was last year. But I said something else and it ended up blowing in my face. So I am not going to provoke Kanata. Uh, the most important question I will ask you, though, mm-hmm. during this podcast, how the heck are you doing, man? Man, everything's good. Like, we just got through uh, our little portion of Hurricane Ian down here. Um, a lot of rain. My garden really, really needed it. So I'm not <laughs> going to complain. Outside of that, though, everything is good, man. Just getting ready for this college basketball season, getting ready for the NBA season. We may be doing a few. I may be doing a few things on the NBA side, too. So we'll see where, well, again, that's not necessarily breaking news, but uh, just we're going to be doing a lot of stuff this year, and I'm looking forward to it. But I'm enjoying the summer right now. Uh, that's dope if you're going to be working on some of the NBA side of stuff. Yes, so. yes, we'll see. We will see. CBS, lucky to have you there. We are talking about the Charlotte Hornets around these parts. And I wanted to start here because I think this is the big, the most important thing that happened in the Charlotte Hornets. That didn't happen to the Charlotte Hornets, but Miles Bridges, felony domestic violence charges, three of them. Uh, yeah. His latest routine hearing, as it's been described, was delayed yet again for a fourth time. It's now scheduled for October, October 7th. 7th. Uh, there has not been any new news um, like since the initial news break where we saw the photos that were posted. Uh, on Instagram, we've heard the story about how some of this stuff happened in front of his his son. Uh, I don't want to necessarily focus on the basketball impact of it. Uh, I would recommend your former stomping ground at Locked On Hornets with yeah. Walker Mel did a, what I thought was a really valuable podcast with Katie Hind on how domestic violence is covered in sports. And so I'd urge everyone, and I've said it before in this podcast, to check that out. Um, but what are there any just coming out of media day? Uh, are there any updates on expectations on how we expect this to pan out um or is this just a situation where again it's absolutely horrible from the hornets perspective you just have to operate as we don't have miles bridges this season let's move on that's that's i think if you notice from media day that was one of the big things they hope they that he gets them back they get them back but at the same time they kind of know he's not going to be back for a while um now granted you had some folks like lamella ball give a 21 year old answer for a very bad question in which probably the PR people should have stepped in and been like, yeah, yeah, we're not answering these questions. Or there should have been a base understanding that, Hey, we're not answering any miles bridges questions because quite, quite frankly, he's not on the roster right now. They're at 20 and that they would have to cut somebody. So technically again, the offers out there, he's not on the roster. At some point, he may or may not be back. My advice to anyone that thinks that he's going to be back in 2022, don't expect it. If he's 
back. And I want to say, I want to bring it if, because I don't think he plays this season due to the fact that he's going, he's trying to avoid a not guilty play. Those pictures are out there. The hospital report is out there. He is probably going to have to come to like, he's going to have to settle at some point. He's going to have to come to a plea deal. He's going to miss a significant amount of time whenever that happens as well. I wouldn't be surprised if we see something that ends up closer to the Jeffrey Taylor situation, which was, I believe, 24 games. So I would not expect to see Miles Bridges here. And when he comes back, there's going to be a lot of apologizing, a lot of hopefully on his part therapy. Because the other thing is, if you've met Miles Bridges, and I have a few times, he's one of those guys that this him having this streak to, to him fooled a lot of people, me included. I am legitimately surprised that he acted in the way he did. And I, I hate to be like the, he fooled me, but yeah, he fooled me and he fooled a whole lot of other people in this. And that part is also going to be hard for him to, because he's going to have to fix all of this and that's going to take a lot of effort. And I, I, I hope he does quite honestly. And I think, as you also mentioned, like this isn't something that's going to go away. And as I mentioned, I, we shouldn't need the pictures but the pictures are out there and that ensures that it's not going to go away. And so this is something the team and miles bridges absolutely need to reconcile with as they should. And I just hope the thing that's been gutting through all this is you hope uh, his girlfriend is okay. And then just knowing the stuff that his son has seen, you, you really hope that his son is okay as well. And it's yeah, just no. so much bigger than basketball here. And it's, it's tough to the sports media. I'll call it myself included. I don't consider myself media, but the sports media landscape is just woefully ill-equipped to cover this stuff. Um, absolutely had the proper training absolutely and it's one of those things like it it, we we are an incredibly shallow business that is quite honestly we are hollywood we are hollywood media but we cover athletic people that that's what we are at at the end of the day and there's a lot of this that and, and granted shout out to podcasts like burn it burn it all down that do this and that um help you that can help educate you on why this stuff matters and I mean, Jessica Luther has been one of those people that, and again, I'll, I will absolutely name drop Jessica Luther, but she's absolutely one of those that that taught me a lot through her articles of covering Baylor on this and everything else like that. But, um, so when it comes to like it, the impact goes very, very deep into into this. And the other thing that we have to remember about everything that was said was, especially in that now deleted Instagram post, that there were people that were aiding miles in covering this up. My one concern becomes, and this is something that like, I just pray that it wasn't anyone in the Charlotte Hornets organization that was aiding miles in covering this up. That's the only thing that like, that I keep coming back to is just hopefully that was on his side and not the Hornet side, because if not, then this gets even like dicier. There's no natural segue to do this. No, there isn't. There isn't. There their actual off season. Uh, are there any themes, thoughts, impressions that are sticking with you entering the regular season? Were you surprised that they weren't a little bit more active when they, I know they weren't super flexible, but just on the personnel front, are you a little bit surprised that they just weren't uh, again more active relative to what a bunch of other teams did? Yes and no. 
No, because the Miles Bridges thing, they were going to do something. That then Miles went crazy and, and did a very horrible thing. And then went from that to I, I guess they turtled. And the other reason why I'm not necessarily surprised is they have a significant belief in a lot of that young talent that they've garnered over the last couple of years. And to be honest, they should. They yeah, I like Kai Jones. I think Kai Jones is a five. I think we've learned that in the last little summer league with him shooting and attempting a whole bunch of threes that he had no business doing, especially the off off the bounce ones in summer league. Um, that is I definitely loved, his role at the, at yeah, the NBA level. Yeah, yeah exactly. Off the threes, yeah. yeah, off the bounce threes were definitely something he should have tried. But um, between that, I like what JT Thor has done. Um, there's a little bit, again, I thought he regressed a little bit this summer, but I also think that they were operating this summer without a coach for a long time. And they brought in, well, and we'll get to that at some point, but they brought in one of the best nuanced teaching coaches. And I think that's going to help. Uh, and I think book night, I think what they're going to do with book night, the only issue that you might have with them is they don't have a point guard. And outside of that, and I thought, and I thought there was going to be a reunion bringing Kemba Walker back, but the fact that Kemba Walker is still like on the Detroit Pistons, uh, Detroit Pistons uh, roster doesn't necessarily bode well for his opportunities around the league. So I wish they would have gotten a point guard, but I'm not necessarily surprised that the Miles Bridges thing threw everything, like literally just destroyed everything. Because once the league saw those pictures, it you can't do anything. Like you're mm-hmm. paralyzed and you've got to probably sit this out and wait a year. Fortunately, they have a lot of young talent on that bench. What were your impressions of now? especially how the coaching search went down. You, know, you have Kenny Atkinson, then you don't. And you, I think there are worse emergency contingencies than Steve Clifford for sure. But what are, what are just your thoughts on that whole situation? Okay. So we, I, I can, I love talking about this situation because I can start finally tell stuff now that we can, now that we're for, further, far enough away. So I need to ask you a question in a stopgap situation. Would you have preferred Steve Clifford just coaching and just doing nothing and just coaching or would you have preferred mike d'antoni coaching but having some sort of personnel decision power oh no i would would absolutely prefer steve clifford because you know what steve clifford's going to give a fuck about defense and that's someone that they need yeah and that was the other thing like there was not enough between there was a couple of things where it was just like okay i can I, i i can understand Kenny Atkinson to a degree because you're it's somewhat similar in the James Borrego role of oh, we'll develop this guy, but he'll care more about defense. I I just I'm not sure if you're old enough to remember the Larry Brown years here in Charlotte where he was the coach and the GM and he had enough power to say um, how how would I remember because this is this is the key move for me with the Larry Brown tenure as a Charlotte Bobcats head coach slash GM. He drafted DJ Augustine over Brooke Lopez. I remember that. They were the the Bobcats then were going to draft Brooke Lopez. Larry Brown needed a point guard who already had one in Raymond Felton. Didn't like Raymond Felton. Chose to go get DJ Augustine instead of Brooke Lopez. And yeah, Brooke Lopez would have helped. Would have helped a lot. No 7 and 59 with Brooke Lopez. We'd have had 20, 30 <laughs> wins. Yeah, like there's a lot of this. So that's why I'm against ever giving a coach GM power. 
I am never for it. I am always going to be here to go get again. The coach just coaches, he does his thing. Between that and then the other thing that never made sense was, and I know you heard a little bit of this too, that the Hornets were actually too cheap to get Kenny Atkins and his assistant coaches. Start looking at the um assistant coaching staff for the Charlotte Hornets this year. You have Bob Byer that came back. Tyron again, Ty Corbin came back. Plus, he kept about five of the folks on the staff for from uh Brego's regime. If it was going to be about money and paying for assistance, I'm not so sure that that's the case. So Kenny just left back and went back on his own. And I think the Hornets were the ones ending up looking bad and left holding the bag. And uh, ironically, the coaching search ends up being a better thing because I think with this team, where they are right now, I love what James Borrego did. I didn't think he should have been fired, but after hearing a couple of things, uh, again, and and questions about leadership and questions about defense, I understood. Steve Clifford is the right guy to teach this team right now how to play defense, how to pay attention to the nuances of the game, how to be better, because if we're honest, the last little bit of the Charlotte Hornets was a lot of, oh my God, they're really, really good. They'll beat the they will beat the Philadelphia 76ers and they'll beat the Milwaukee Bucks on back-to-back nights. But then they will drop a game to the to the Rockets for no reason. They were wildly inconsistent. And I think smoothing out those inconsistencies with Cliff will make them a better team, even if they're minus Miles Bridges this year. Do you knowing Steve Clifford's defensive principles, what they're predicated on, how I don't want to say concerned because it's not a bad thing, but like how focused he is on getting the defense set. Can that mesh with the way that the Hornets played on offense, which this is a team that was very high in transition, fourth in average offensive possession time. Are we going to see sort of a stylistic collision here between Clifford's defensive principles and their offense? That's the thing that's going to trip them up. That's the thing. If, because I think they're going to be better than people think. I think they're going to be better than Vegas thinks. I think they're going to be closer to 40 wins than they are 30. But I do, that's the concern. Like, And I, I think it was Matt Moore that put, puts this out, but Cliff's never had a team faster than 18th in pace. Holy shit. I, yeah. Yeah. If you want to be concerned about this team, it's there. Now, that being said, I think they're going to get better in the half court. I do believe they're going to be better. I, I have to believe they've got to be better because it's any anything was better than what they were in the half court the last couple of years. I think Cliff will get them better in the half court. I think LaMelo is going to be good enough. And I think we're going to start seeing some roles minimized in terms of up-tempo style. The one guy that you kind of have to sort out with that, I, I'm, not, I'm not expecting much from Gordon Hayward outside of 45 games and maybe he'll play, maybe he'll play 15, 20 more. I don't expect much. And they've already said he's going to be load managed going into this year. I do have concerns about what Terry Rozier is going to be in this offense, especially if we're talking about a guy that is probably not going to get as many transition threes as he got last year and probably going to see more of the offense, the defenses loading up for him. I do worry about him and what he's going to do and what he's going to be. So if, if you're worried about this, if you're worried about the transition and the clash of styles, pretty much I would I would worry about those two things when it comes to the Charlotte Hornets because 
Terry Rozier was a big piece of the, of what they did um, last couple of years. He was going to be a little bit neutralized, and the pace is going to be. I'm not going to say it's not going to be what it used to be, but it's going to be significantly slowed down. You don't think, Terry, that if they can get to a point, especially when you have LaMelo, and even having Gordon Hayward, if he's, you know, when he's yeah. healthy, like him being able to knock down threes off of dribble penetration in the half court is still something that he should be able to do. He should, but I think we're going to see his usage. usage come down a lot. Okay. It's going to come down. I think it's going to come down a significant amount. I think his usage was, was significantly high. I think that's coming down. I think the ball's going to be a lot more in LaMelo's hands this, this year. I think it's also going to be a lot more in Hayward's hands. And surprisingly, and we'll talk about, I know we're going to talk about him, Cody Martin's hands a lot too. Is I, You mentioned Gordon Hayward's going to be load managed, but after they don't sign a backup point guard, or they have, I mean, Dennis Smith Jr. is technically on the roster right now. And you be have, careful with that because that's the, because again, you've seen Cliff teams where they get that one guy that we're like, oh, what do we expect? This, that, and th-. be careful because that feels like the Cliff. I'm going to mold him into an NBA player and he's going to, ha- again, we have Ramon Sessions. We have, um, I forgot who else it was, but we've had a, like Michael Carter Williams. We've seen Cliff mold these top seven top eight guys in the draft before and then they end up having a significant career after he's done be careful with dismissing dennis smith jr be very careful is gordon hayward though like especially given how you expect them now to play on offense as a result of folks on defense does he become availability it's a different thing i still think he's a very useful player and that the contract is it doesn't look great but that we sometimes associate you know, contract with how good a player actually is sometimes. And we conflate mm-hmm. like availability with pay grade and, and elements yeah. along those lines. It's is the Alan Houston important? principle. It's the yeah. Alan. Yeah. Think about Alan Houston. He's very much new age. Alan Houston. When he's on the floor, he's great. When he's not on the floor and you just notice the absence and you notice how different they play and you notice how different they just seem as a team. It's, it's very much the Alan Houston principle in that. And I want him to again. I, I, I want him to be there, but it's one of those things. Like if you're the Charlotte Hornets, you can't expect more than forty-five games out of him. You can't. You you just can't at this point. And if you do, that's kind of your fault at this point. You have to have those kind of guardrails in there. And granted, they have a lot of guys at the wing. Can one of them step up if he's hurt? That's the key to the season. If you if you can get a step up from a book night, if you can get a step up from a Bryce McGowns, which I don't think who I don't think we'll see all year, but if you can get a step up from Cody Martin, you, if Kelly Oubre focuses on defense just a little bit, I think you can mitigate a bunch of this stuff. It's just how do you manage a guy like Gordon Hayward and 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 figure out like how to score otherwise and how to be because a lot of this. And granted, the the thing that I worry the most about with Gordon Hayward out most of the time is if you're talking about a team that doesn't have the basketball IQ outside of LaMelo sometimes, some nights, you're going to need that other guy that grown up that'll be there to guide offense do every, and be the de facto point guard at times. Gordon Hayward did that a decent amount last year. I wonder exactly what happens if they miss him and they miss Miles Bridges. Is that too much? Is that too much of a talent drain to really 
do anything and get to that 10 spot. Because I think when we start talking about the expectations for this team, the floor should be the 10 spot, the floor, the absolute floor. Now the ceiling probably is probably like eight or nine, but still mm-hmm. they're a playing, they're a solid playing team as long as the injuries aren't crippling. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I'm, I'm going to want to get into that sort of secondary guard rotation in a second, but we've probably gone long enough without talking specifically yep. about LaMelo ball. Yes. Uh, you look at his game and I think it's mm-hmm. fair to say that like I, he's my most improved player pick as of right now entering the season. Uh, fair. I think Anthony Edwards, ascension is kind of overshadowed how good he actually is, but you look at LaMelo's game and whether you call them concerns or weaknesses, I look at, he gets to the rim a good amount, doesn't finish well doesn't get to the foul line a ton. Those two things are probably directly related. Mm-hmm. Um, him getting stronger might help. And there's also just, he can be a defensive disruptor, a defensive playmaker, but there's the, there's always the on-ball defense, which I feel like we say about all guards. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, how confident are you in him improving in either any one of those or all three of those areas entering year three? It's funny because media day, LaMelo did mention um, one big thing is that he started he hired a ref to help draw to help try to t- basically game the system so that where he can get three four five more free throws if that works we're talking about like you said mip we're talking about probably all nba we're talking about third again i'm not saying he's going to be first or second team but if he gets to a solid 22 10 i think with the with the way he's going to go, he if he gets a solid 22-23 and has decent assist decent assist numbers, decent like rebounding numbers. I think he's got a shot at all NBA. I do think he can improve in that. And then the defensive stuff, I'm really not worried about that because it's Cliff. Cliff is going to find a way to minimize his weaknesses. And that's going to be key. I'm not sure how it's going to work, but I'm not worried about as much about the defense because Cliff will have you playing at a certain level on defense to, to where it works. And we know, again, we just see that everywhere. And I'm not worried necessarily worried about that. I'm more worried about draw, him drawing the fouls and the strength. And then on top of that, probably getting better with the jump shot. If he gets better with the three, then we're talk, like, what are we doing here? He's going to be very, very good next year. Does he, and you mentioned the jumper and he's done most of his damage just on spot up looks, which is, by the way, that's a luxury because a lot of yes. guards who operate with the ball in their hands, like they can't do that. Uh, there has been talk like over the past two years about his off the dribble jumper. He did shoot 34.1% on off the dribble threes last year. Does he need to have that shot in his game though? No, like that's, that's also a luxury to me. Like if we're talking about luxuries, his biggest thing, his biggest weapon to me is the fake, and then that floater of his that he does, like fake the three, float into the like that's his that's his probably his best weapon, and if he can get that, if he hits enough threes to where people have to respect the three, he's big enough and he's probably strong enough to get to the fifteen foot area and take that mid mid range, and I think that's the next elevation in this game. Him being a three level scorer is probably the most important thing for them because. If he becomes that mid-range guy that can hit 40, 45 from, from mid, I think that opens up everything. That gives Terry Rozier an extra three. That gives Cody Martin an uh, easier lane to, to slash off of. That gives Mark Williams a chance to get a lob. 
that's the next level. And I think the off the dribble three isn't isn't key, but I I think it's one of those things where we just have to just I think we got to hold off on that one. I think that's coming. It's just one of those you get that with experience. And I'm not sure he's experienced enough to get that one just yet. I think this might make me a hypocrite or a poser or an idiot, but I simultaneously <laughs> view an off the dribble three in general as perhaps the most valuable like skill in basketball, but also not something that's essential. If that makes any it, sense. No, it, it, you're right. You're like, you're absolutely right about that. Like that's to me, that's the thing. Like, I think off I'm not worried about off the dribble three because him doing those pull up threes, those are really great for the crowd. But from <laughs> like you see where he pulls up, we're talking a solid 27, 28 feet when he does it. And granted, we've seen Trey Young, we've seen Dame do it, we've seen a whole lot of other people do it. I'm not sure it's that valuable for him in the long run. And I think when it comes to that. I, I see why, again, you're not a hypocrite or opposer or anything like, else like that. But m- more importantly, I think for his game, I don't think it's that necessary. I think much more of the becoming the three-level score because the elite three-level scores are the ones that you end up having to worry about in playoff games. And I think their, tr- their entire focus is we want this to be a perennial playoff team. And therefore, we're going to have you focus on the stuff that's going to help you get there and sustain success when it comes to, comes to being in there. Mark Williams, any mm-hmm. thoughts on his game and fit? And will he play at all this season? I know that I think it was Clifford had said, uh, I don't know if it was media day or if it was just the other was, day, but he had said yeah. that Nick Richards is the backup five as of right now, which I think f- early on, I get it. I'm just curious if you think that Mark Williams will be in the regular rotation by year's end. If Mark Williams is not a part of the regular rotation by the, oh, but not, not so of opening day, but if he's not there by Christmas, then there's a problem. There's a problem, quite honestly. Um, I like Nick Richards. My best description of him is that he seems like a second or second and a half too slow on every NBA basketball play, which is something you can't have for an NBA center. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, Mark Williams. I had concerns about Mark Williams' foot speed, lateral foot speed on the pick and roll. I thought he was going to be food. <laughs> summer league, summer league kind of, summer league kind of like, nullified a few of those concerns i think what he brings to this team is a verticality that on both ends that they don't necessarily have right now and because of that i think he's going to play and i think he's going to play a lot and i would not be surprised if he's the starter come i want to say new year's day i think he's going to be a part of the rotation i think it's a lot more about hey I've seen Nick Richards in the building. I haven't. Nec- I think what, when Cliff said that, I think it was much more about, "Hey, I've seen Nick Richards in the building. I haven't seen Mark Williams as much." I think that's going to change because I don't think Nick Richards as your starting as your backup center um, works very, very well right now. The optics of drafting another big in the first round and then not using him during his rookie season also wouldn't be whether it's fair or not to frame it that way. The optics would not be great. Oh no! Oh no! The, the the optics are horrible, and it's why I'm glad they didn't go and grab draft Durin. But which, like, I think that they are, and this is the thing that I believe Mitch said: like, they are maxed out with young talent. They only have so many ability uh, hours to to max everybody out. So there's that, and then yeah, Kai Jones already isn't playing, and then you have JT Thor who's trying to fit a role, 
And you have a very tight seven, eight guys right now that you know are going to play. You need those young guys to play at some point. If not, then you should have traded the picks. I have two questions on PJ Washington, which okay. is one, where do you sort of just land on his value to this team now? And two, because you have Kai Jones and Mark Williams and Plumley and even JT Thor, are we going to see less of PJ Washington at the five than we have over the past two years? I think that the funny thing is the Montrez Harrell. Let me answer that last part of the question first. The Montrez Harrell trade kind of cemented that PJ is a four. Like we saw his numbers jump up. He was a better player. He was fresher. He's a spot five at at best. He's one of those guys. Maybe you close the game with at the five. Maybe. And between that and as far as his value, I think his his value is incredibly high. He may be the best defensive player on this team. Cody Martin's the only other guy that comes within any kind of sniffing distance of him. I think he's incredibly value. I think he's one of those guys that, like, you talk about LaMelo for most improved player. I Let me sell you on P.J. Washington, possibly. Oh, let me sell you on that. Podcast to travel down this rabbit hole. Let's go. We're, what if I told you that one of Steve Clifford's favorite players just joined the basketball operations and coaching staff of the Charlotte Hornets. That would be one Marvin Williams. Marvin Williams was a guy that called out the defense, that got his, that, again, when you talk about Charlotte Hornets, Marvin Williams, and the best of what he was before his legs went out, that was a guy that was going to get you anywhere from 17 to, again, 17 to 20, on like 15 to 20 almost every night. He got you at least a couple of threes. He hit almost he hit a high thirties with at least three three threes a game. There's a lot of this to where I can see like on a contract year, PJ putting up 18, 18, nine, maybe a couple assists here or there, but almost hitting probably 50 from the floor, 36, 37 from 36 or 37 from three, and then around 80 from the line. I, there's, a, there's a scenario where that absolutely happens. I think he's going to be really, really good this year because Cliff is going to know how to use him a little bit better than James Borrego did. I think that part's going to matter a lot. His offense has always fascinated me because it does feel very plug-and-play, but he also has, to borrow phrasing from friend of the podcast, Adam Spinella, like there's a little bit of a motherfucker to him on offense too, when there wants to be. And I'm just, when you slide him to more of the four, I think the Hornets probably have the personnel to make it work, but the spacing can be kind of important for him to play that way. And I'm just curious if you're going to be in the half court more, if the guard rotation outside the starting lineup is spotty, do you need PJ Washington to do a little bit more uh, on offense this season? Aside from again, be the, I I think he has to, I think he has to like, I think that I think, I think everyone should go into the year expecting that quite honestly, like that's the dude that's going to have to step up to make this all work without miles being out. And I think we've seen it in flashes. The issue with, with PJ quite honestly is when he puts the ball on the deck from the three point line, because he has a tendency to get ripped and turn the ball over. That's the issue with him. As long as he goes and does that, then he should be fine. Cody Martin, you mentioned him a couple of times already. I was, uh, maybe it's the, I was going to say it could be the initial sticker shock reporting of the deal. But even if you just assumed the deal was entirely guaranteed, which it's not, there are two yeah. guaranteed years on that four-year deal. Nationally, what was missed 
on Cody Martin that people would think this was somehow in overpay. He's the only guy on this team on the wing that can stay within, can stay with our man. Like they had to pay him. And the one thing about the Miles Bridges incident that made this kind of interesting for me is I think if Miles Bridges keeps his nose clean, we don't see Kelly Oubre. I think Kelly Oubre became a necessity to keep him because I think they, the, and I think you've seen me tweet this before where I was like, the decision to keep Cody Martin isn't one of Miles or Cody, Miles Bridges or Cody Martin. No, it was whether we keep this partially guaranteed deal that we have with Kelly Oubre or do we move on Cody Martin to, to another team? I think the way he improved his three, now granted, most of his damage from three was in the first half of the year. And mm-hmm. I want to say it was like right like right after um, New Year's Day, his, his, his uh, carriage became a pumpkin again in terms of his three-point shot. But at the same time, he's still one of their – he was their best defensive player. And I think if you saw what his brother Caleb did, think about that. And then think about what he did, especially again, like Cody's the better player. Cody's a lot more versatile, where whereas Caleb played like primarily the four for the heat. You had him, you had Cody Martin essentially guarding one through three, maybe even mm-hmm. some fours. I think the versatility, defensive versatility, his willingness to be a pat again, he's a half decent backup point guard. And we may see that even more with this, these new lineups. I think we're. I think a lot of people are just missing how much a glue guy it, it matters, and also, and th- I guess this is the biggest issue I have with everyone getting mad about this deal. You can't say, "Oh my God, Alex Caruso, you're getting paid this," and then be like Cody Mart and get sticker shock with Cody Mart. I'm sorry, that just doesn't work for me. Yeah, even independently of the cap going up, that was just, and I don't expect people to be like sickos like you yeah. or even me, like a low level sicko to have watched a ton of Cody Martin all the time. But like yeah. that number was just like when you thought it was four and 32 and it was just four and 32, like that number was fine. Like that yeah. number was perfectly fine. I will say, I think my favorite part about his game is that, yeah, I was, I actually had the question about, do you think he's going to run more like second units because of the way the secondary guard rotation shakes out and he can do that stuff. But yeah. there's like, even when the ball's in his hands, he just doesn't stop the flow of anything. Like it's nope. always like these quick decisions of whether he's going to drive or if he's going to go into a pick and roll or he's going to shoot or even the passes he's making when he's, he's gotten better at that when he is driving, like making yeah. those passes, he is just glue guy was probably the best way to describe it, but there's just a constant motion to his game even when he's not in motion because the game never he never slows it down even no, when he doesn't have court and you need that guy and you know who really loves that kind of guy steve clifford like he's going to play a factor in this like i'm not saying i wouldn't be i wouldn't i'm not saying terry rogier is coming off the bench but would it surprise me to see a cody martin start no because he because cliff is always about you start your five defensive, your best five defensive guys. And mm-hmm. if that's going to be the case, Cody Martin is going to start. That's how good he is and I, uh, defensively. And I think that's going to matter as well. Now, granted, is that going to cause a lot of problems? Probably. But we'll see. Again, we'll get to that bridge when we cross it. But, the, I'm, but in terms of the Cody Martin love, I am a Cody Martin zealot. I think he's better than people th- seem to think he is. And that contract is just in line, especially when you start thinking about the Alex Caruso contracts and contracts of that ilk as well. Do you expect Kelly Oubre Jr. to finish the season in Charlotte? 
tell me how many wins they have by the by by this uh, trade deadline. Because that's, big, that's like that's why it's an unfair question, especially because you needed to keep him. Or I guess you could argue you need to keep him since you have to operate like Miles Bridges will not be yeah. playing this season. Uh, but if you're bad, you're probably not going to pay him this offseason. I will say I'm very fascinated if you actually think the offense is going to slow down with Steve Clifford. I'm very maybe morbidly so. Uh, mm-hmm. Curious to see how Kelly Oubre Jr. winds up fitting into that. Well, he said he's going to work on defense, but again, that'd be the first time we've seen that. In Is his there career. a player? There has to be a player, but he's one of those guys where his like defensive reputation, just because of his body <laughs> archetype, it just exceeds anything you've ever watched with exactly. him. On exactly. Exactly. The concept like, is better than the theory. Yeah. Exactly. Again, he's one of those great guys in concept. You're right. He's absolutely one of those guys that's better in concept. But I worry about. Like he's the guy I worry about that gets that gets moved for book night because I think there is a legitimate bromance with Steve Clifford and James Booknight that's going on. And I think them learning and, and uh, I like Kelly Oubre, but would it surprise me to find that he's on he's on the outs and they're gonna focus on the youth movement, especially if they can help win? I wouldn't be surprised. I honestly wouldn't be surprised because I know the mandate is, hey, we understand that we're trying to win. You also have to play the kids. And that's something that Ubre has the benefit of the doubt of being a vet for now. Would it surprise me if he's out? No, not really. It, it kind of honestly, because it just the defense, like defensive effort, defensive focus are big things. And we've seen Kelly Ubre's movies before that may be the thing that trips him up and gets him out of the rotation. I don't want to date this podcast by mentioning it, but I was sort of curious if whether because this team has lost a ton of leverage since the player is currently not in training camp with them, if the framework of a Crowder for Ubre swap would interest the Hornets in large part, because if you're trying to slow things down defensively and offensively, I'd probably argue that Jay Crowder makes more sense for your team. Even if you trust Kelly Oubre Jr. to do different things on defense against, you know, Crowder's like very much just a big yeah. wing guy. And I think Oubre still has the malleability on defense to go against smaller, quicker players. Maybe not well, but, you know, not get beat. I I would be for it because I'm also for having more adults in the room at, the, at this point. Like, I think anything that adds a, a veteran, an adult in the room, for any sort of time that can import any sort of knowledge that can help PJ be a better, again, three, four, five guy, like anything that can help these guys be a better team and be more focused. I think you got to be four. So I wouldn't hate that idea. In fact, I, I would actually go for it because I think this team, especially being like competitive, and we've heard them mention. Playoffs are the goal. The playoffs are the goal. We're trying to get to the playoffs. We've heard that up and down this year. If that's the goal, then there's no reason not to do a Jay Crowder for Kelly Oubre swap. You sort of answered this question for me already, but like who has the is going to play the bigger role for the team this season between Booknight, Kai Jones, and I threw JT Thor in there. It felt like I mentioned in the outline I sent you that when you sort of look at their depth chart, Booknight has the clearer path to playing time right now, and it seems like you just... <laughs> Or at least based off what you said, it seems to me that the organization just seems to believe in him more as well. The organization is is going to give James Booknight, after a bad rookie year, a chance to make good. 
And we, again, you have the incident in December with confronting the head coach, James Brago, on the sideline. It became a thing where, it, again, even Zapruder film was broke out for it. So that's how, like, crazy that situation got. I think James Booknight has a chance to be that guy. But I'm also going to throw a twist in here on, on this. I'm not sure it's James Booknight. I think it might be JT Thor. I think JT our Thor's... Discord members will love you for saying that because <laughs> the Hardwood Knox Discord members love some JT Thor. I think JT Thor is the just his skill set, the ability to hit the three, the ability to defend at least two through four, not to be food on on pick and roll. I think all of that matters. I think all of that is going to be a defensive Swiss army knife for a guy in Steve Clifford who loves crafting a whole bunch of traps in his defense and to basically have a strong defense off the bench. I think it's JT Thor because I'm not, and this is going to be into another one of those questions. I like Jalen McDaniels. I do think if we talk about people that may or may not be on this roster come trade deadline time he feels like another one of them doesn't he like he like if they're bad he feels like another one that might get you something more than you think because i think he's 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 a type of rotation guy that actually can help you and i'm not sure that for what this team brings right now if they don't have a better younger version under more cap control that that he may find his way out of this rotation and that was a question here, too, is he didn't play towards the tail end of last year all that much. Jalen McDaniels, yeah. I mean, and he's hit threes on very low volume. But so you're I was going to ask you, like, can he get a bigger role when you look at the forward rotation? But I guess your answer to that would be very much no. It's not no. It's I want to see like a lot of this bench. I want to see what happens with when they start playing like preseason games, what the rotations are going to be, because I think with Cliff. One, I don't think there's going to be a 10-man rotation. I think we need to eliminate that idea right now. Two, I think Cliff is going to very much be in a experimental mode of, okay, let's see what works with this. Let's see what works with that, especially with the bench. I think we know what you have out of the top seven. I think there are a lot of spots up for grabs. I think I would not be surprised if JT Thor, because of his length, because of his quickness, ends up taking a spot from somebody and uh, specifically McDaniels and then it becomes in a again then it becomes a Kai Jones versus Jalen McDaniels for for minutes like I would not be surprised JT Thor is the guy that comes out of this bench because he's done so 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 well and he's still one of the youngest players in the league he's got a lot of upside to him I will say I'm normally in favor of players testing out things but jail mcdaniels is one of those guys where on offense i don't need to see him like try to dribble out (laughs) i'd rather not watch it anymore to be honest with you dan you've seen my nickname for him right i don't know that i have jalen 10 day plays like he's on a 10 day contract (laughs) i don't know that i've seen that or yeah no yeah 10 day jalen like that again there are times where you he plays like he's on a 10 day he takes shots he shouldn't when he plays within the flow of the offense, he's great. But when he decides that he wants to go rogue or he wants to try something else out new, it usually doesn't end well for him. And this is a guy I like. 
I'm just wondering because of his contract status, like if things go bad, is he one of those first guys to go? So when you step back and look at this roster leading into the season, what's your single biggest uh, concern or what's their single biggest weakness? If you'd like to frame it that way, rebounding and backup point guard. I wonder if they have enough physicality has already been brought up once in um, media day. If they lack the physicality to rebound, it'll be the same old Charlotte Hornets. They're going to score. Well, actually, no, it's not going to be the same old Charlotte Hornets because usually with that physicality, they could at least outrun you and win you games that way. If they can't be physical and they can't rebound well, and Mark Williams doesn't come in here and fix the fix the defensive re, um, defensive side of the ball, this team is going to be not necessarily significantly worse because I do believe this is a 30-win team no matter what. But the problem becomes at this point that if they can't, they're just going to be unwatchable. They're going to be a half-court team that may not be able to play in the half-court, plus a defensive team that really can't defend and can't rebound and can't seal off their man and give up tons of offensive rebounds, which we've seen them do year after year after year. At some point, one of that something like that's got to change. The other issue is backup point guard, which has clearly been a bugaboo because I think in the last couple of these, we've had this conversation and backup point guard has been one of the weaknesses that I've worried about. I... I thought, again, now granted, I am a Dennis Smith Jr. believer in this aspect of I trust the player development staff. I trust Cliff to get this right with him and figure it out. I just wonder how long that may take. And granted, he's on a non-guaranteed deal, so he could be gone at any time. Mm -hmm. I do wonder if not going after Kemba Walker and bringing him back even for 30, 40 games is going is not is going to hurt them because I think they need a point guard and I I just the Lakers have one I hear that's available. You're trying to get me to hang up, aren't you? Good job. <laughs> and, and, and again, this is you saying, "Oh, I'm not going to troll." Watch Russell. Oh, I, 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 I said that the idea that the Hornets should have been a Westbrook destination was ridiculous, unless they were trying to blow it up and wanted to get off long term money. No, that's the only way it made sense. The Westbrook thing made sense if you were going to eat the, like you said, eat the forty-four million, tell him to go home, stay home, buy him out, and let him join a playoff team or or something along the lines of that. That's the only way, and it only specifically works if you wanted to specifically get off the Gordon Hayward contract. That's the only way that 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 a Westbrook tra- trade ever made sense to me. Is they're tired of they're tired of uh Gordon Hayward. That's it. That's the only way it works. But even then, no one wants that contract. And you know what? Just because you mentioned that as a small joke, when Russell Westbrook becomes a Nick, remember this I'd, chat. I'd fave it because it means that hopefully that they're, I guess, no, the Knicks might be as an actual player. Yep. Speaking, mm-hmm. speaking mm-hmm. of the Knicks, though, just a quick tangent. I was very proud to see like Hornets Twitter really push back against the idea that seemed to be was being pushed by Nick's Twitter about maybe a Randall for Hayward swap. And that never made sense for the Hornets and Hornets fans and, uh, bloggers, analysts, media members, podcasters, they shot that down real quick. So I was very proud. I was very proud of them for neutering that. The thing is, like, I didn't understand the – I didn't – like, I I understand that Julius Randle had one of the greatest bubble seasons ever. And mind you, the Tri-State area now has uh, two great bubble players in TJ Warren and Julius Randle. I understand that people do well with no crowds. Julius Randle was clearly one of them. 
And when the people started started showing up, he started not showing up. And I understand that. I like Gordon Hayward. He shows up in front of people. That's the big difference between <laughs> Julius Randle. Hey, I, I, I got to keep it real on that one. I got to keep it real. The tone with that you used was just not indicative of how biting that comment <laughs> ended up being. Uh, the name that I thought for them as a backup playmaker, and I think it would have to be a three-team trade because I, I think this team would maybe be in the market for a big, but I wondered if Derek White is now gettable in Boston. Um, someone who could come off the bench and give you some secondary ball handling. Defensively, he feels very much like a player Steve Clifford could fall in love with, but that's not... Is that the type of move you make when you're talking about your third guard? I don't think the Hornets are there yet to view themselves. We're not, they, we're not there yet, and I want... Like, I honestly want to see what they do with Dennis Smith Jr. I really do want to see that, see what that happens. Now, granted, he was a last-minute move, so I'm not expecting much. But I want to see what they do with him. Uh, I think between that, I think between Cody Martin getting a backup point guard role, possibly, and that opening up a slot for James Booknight, I want to see what they do first because Cliff's already talked about Hayward possibly doing some point guard duties, Cody Martin doing Cody, uh, point guard duties. There's a lot of this that at some point is going to end up having to make sense for a lot of people. I want to see how these pieces work for right now. And thankfully we have preseason games coming up shortly for them to figure it out because I want to see what this is about because I'm, there's a lot of this that works in theory. I want to see if it actually works in, in actual practice and games and seeing what works and what doesn't. God, I hate preseason basketball. I, I just I can't bring myself to watch it that much. But you mentioned that the Hornets aren't going to go with a 10-man rotation. One of my favorite things to do, though, leading into the season is looking at who the top 10 most used players will be. Yeah. This team feels like it has seven locks yes, that will be in there. And then you it could be anarchy for the other three. So how do you view sort of, sort of that pecking order shaking out? At this point, again, Ball, Rozier, Hayward, P.J., Plumlee, Martin Ubre, those are the seven. The next three, I would put Mark Williams there. I would put tentatively Jalen McDaniels there. And then I would put Book Knight. And I think that's probably what I would do, but I don't feel confident about it right now. I think there's a JT Thor. Something's going to happen, and we're going to either see a JT Thor. I, I'm not expecting anything out of Kai Jones this year again. Um, I, th I thought it was at least a two-year project. And, and granted, that, that first-round pick that you traded off, that, that Hornets, that the Knicks traded off, is in the wind and at some point will come due. I don't expect it to come due anytime soon. But um, there's that. So I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I, think that's the, I think that's the list, though. I think that's the list, though card is very much subject to change. What will be this team's go-to crunch time lineup? <sighs> I got to do two for you because the first one is Gordon-specific, and we don't know if that's going to be the first 45 games or that's going to be something else. But um, probably Ball, Hayward, Martin... Um, PJ Plumley to start the season post New Year's Day, Ball, Rogier, um, Martin, PJ, Mark Williams. Ooh, I like that last one. 
I think that last one, I think Mark Williams comes along very well, but it's just going to, it might take him a little bit. So wait, the last one was ball Rozier, Martin, Martin Washington, yep. Williams, Williams. Yeah. Is there a weirdo bonkers quirky lineup you want to see Steve Clifford try this season? <sighs> he doesn't do weird and bonkers. That's the problem. JB would at least again, acknowledge us us sickos. He would at least acknowledge us <laughs> with like a five-minute lineup with with like Ish Smith, Terry Rozier, and Lamelo Ball at the three. Like there would be those those moments out of necessity where he would at least indulge us. I can't even I can't even think of it because I know Cliff would basically look at us nuts if we ever suggested us, suggested it and ask how would we how would they defend, which is the which is ninety percent of this. But just for the sake of doing this, PJ. McDaniels, Thor, Book Night Ball. Okay. I would want to see what that would look like. That's not like too unhinged. It's not too unhinged, but I could already hear the how are we de- how are how are we defending? How are we I can I can hear it. I can hear it. Mine would be I'd like to see Thor, and then I want to see Lamello, Cody, and probably Terry Rozier in that lineup. And then if I'm trying to be realistic, I should put PJ Washington, but I really want to see Kelly Oubre Jr. with that group because it feels like, yeah, it might kill Steve Clifford to watch that unit, but it would be like, it's not, he's not the only one to kill. <laughs> that man's got a heart condition. You're trying to do that to him, Dan. That's yeah, I know up. that's a, that's a terrible, that's a terrible take for me, but I would love to see that lineup would be so like frazzled and frenetic on offense that I, I would. would just be, I would be enthralled by watching it. Like enthralled is a word. Enthralled again, horrified is another. Um, captivated is another. Captivated is yeah, like like you can't look away, like like in the train wreck sense of you can't look away. Um, yeah, no that that that's a lineup. That that that's a lineup, Dan. That's a lineup. <laughs> that is in fact five players on the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> As we record this, the over under for the Charlotte Hornets this season is thirty six point five. Would you smash that over under? And where do you see them landing in the larger context of the Eastern Conference? I told Matt Moore this a couple of days ago. It was it, it, they're a stay away from me. I don't. I can't get a read on this team because they're gonna be they're gonna beat teams off hustle and detail alone. They're going to lose te- to teams because they're not gonna be able to over. They may not overcome. Like they're going to lose to elite teams because they're not going to be able to overcome a talent gap without possibly a Miles Bridges and maybe a Gordon Hayward and or any other injury that hits. The I, I worry, I, like I feel like, like I said, I've said this multiple times. This team feels like a team that's going to win more than like closer to forty than thirty but they don't feel like solid enough to where I would actually place money on it. But I think they're, I think they're the 10th best anywhere from the ninth to 10th best team in the East at this point. And that's without miles bridges. I do think that there's some potential for growth here, but I think there's a chasm. And I think you'll agree with me. There's a chasm between one and six in the East and everybody else. I think there's a significant talent gap. And until the Hornets either develop another star and or find another star. They're going to be on the other side of that chasm right now. 
Yeah, what's interesting about the East, too, is I don't even know if there's, like, this huge chasm. It might be, like, the, like eight teams being looped together when you have Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly. You, wait, you think Miami's still going to uh, – Miami might be closer to the other side of that chasm than you think. Well, so I guess I'm viewing it in terms of teams that I would be prepared to bet are better yeah. than the Hornets this year. Yeah. And so you have Miami, Boston, Philly, Milwaukee. Okay. uh. I don't know what I, Brooklyn is doomed. So I don't I like I don't I don't know what's going to go Brooklyn, on there. Like I'll put Brooklyn there for right now because I think this I think it's a bad marriage but I think it'll be functional. Like and I don't think we'll see I, I I think we'll see in terms of Brooklyn. I think they'll be functional in the regular season. They'll be dysfunctional when it comes to the other 16. I think that part matters. And then so on top of those 5 or 6 that I just listed like you have Atlanta Cleveland, mm -hmm. Toronto, I would bet probably on all of those teams yes, being so better than I. Charlotte. So would I. And so would I. now if you want to be in the play-in, like you need to ensure, yeah, Detroit should be worse than you. Orlando will be worse than you. You need to be better than the Knicks and the Wizards at this point. I think they clearly are, though. I don't trust Washington. I do not trust Washington. I think Washington is very much a sneaky team that could they could they compete with the Hornets? Maybe. But I don't trust a lot of what they do. Do we trust Chris Epps Porzingis to stay healthy enough to be their center? Probably not. No, I mean he did play well for them after the trade, but that was a very that was a snapshot of a season, and he's typically not available for the entire season. Like, and the Knicks, I like them, but you're telling me you're taking? Are you taking an RJ Barrett? Uh, like, let's just go with the backcourt alone. You you're telling me you're going to take Brunson and Barrett over Lamelo Ball and Terry Rozier at this point? Well, I like that you think that Tibbs wouldn't put Evan Fournier in the backcourt. So it's, it's Brunson Fournier versus Lamelo and Terry Rozier. And even right. then, that's even that's even a clearer. I I don't trust the Knicks or the Wizards at all. I might like the makeup of their rosters better than Charlotte's overall right now, but I don't trust Thibodeau to use it correctly in New York. There's just a a yeah. weird dichotomy between how the Knicks sh and who should be playing in New York versus how and who actually does play yeah. in New York. Uh, Washington's just like, they have Beal. I like some of their perimeter depth, but I'm just saying like, I would have those teams in the same, like, what are we doing here tier with Charlotte? And that's what makes it so tough to project. That, their that's, which is fair, but I would also this. And I guess this is where I would like, this is where I would argue with anyone that thinks like, I would honestly put like, it's a small little step stool, but the Hornets would honestly be above the Wizards and the Knicks for me for right now, until okay. otherwise. Until otherwise proven, because at this point, we're talking again. The Knicks' path to to eight, nine, ten is what you get another leap out of. of you get another leap out of Barrett. You get a eight again. You get Brunson being himself, and then you're relying on resurrecting Julius Randle. I mean, my my I, this isn't a hot take, but I think the Knicks' quickest path to getting better is to not play Julius Randle or to trade him. Oh, I agree. Days, but I, I I agree with that. But I don't think you can. I the, think the the league's the league's seen what he is now with people around. You, <laughs> like like let's be real here. The league's seen what he is. I don't think you're getting that. I don't think you're getting that player anymore. That, no, you're that, not. I mean, he there was like flashes of it to finish the season, but. I mean, what you said is going to be tattooed to my memory forever. Is Gordon <laughs> Hayward shows up when people are there, and Julius Randle does not. The, look, the swing team here for this play-in race too. What is Chicago 
without Lonzo Ball, they're very much operating. I know they said he might come back this year, but Billy Donovan came right out and answered a question I of, I have to plan like he won't be. I, I don't. That's going to be the interesting thing because when we talk about team, like that's going to be that where it comes down to the head to head for me because the Chicago Bulls own the Charlotte Hornets. Like they're a bad matchup for that team and they've beaten them. I want to say like the last two years running, like they, the Charlotte Hornets haven't won a game. That's the team that I find interesting, but I wouldn't be surprised. Like, would you be surprised if they come back falling back to earth and they're 11? Cause I, I wouldn't honestly. No. And I think that's, that's sort of what you're hitting on is to me, there's unless something could something can and will probably go wrong in Brooklyn, but with the talent on the roster, there are very much eight locks to me for the top 10. And those final two spots come down to Charlotte, Washington, New York, and Chicago right now. And so you need to be better if you're Charlotte than two of those teams. I'm not ruling it out. I'm also just not confident enough to say that, oh, they're definitely going to be better than, than two of those. Teams. I, I'm confident that they'll be better than the Knicks and the Wizards. Come see me in, in around New Year's Day about Chicago. If Lonzo Ball's back by then, they're going to be dangerous and they're going to be a top eight team. Also, my one hot take, Cleveland's a top six team this year. They're going to get a solid. It's not hot enough. So, like, they're. Here's the other one. Atlanta's back in the plan. Orlando's back in the plan? No, 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 Atlanta is back in the plan. Oh, that, that's like, that might be, that probably is pretty hot. But at the same time, the plan is seven, eight. And you look at the East, I, you know, I have the Cavs in the top six with the Bucks, Boston. Mm -hmm. I'd throw Miami there. I'd probably have Toronto, Philly there. There's your six. So it's not, I'm not, Ooh, I don't know. No, don't be one of those. Don't do it. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like we're going to get seven, eight Atlanta, Toronto. And I feel like nine, 10 is a combo Chicago, like Hornets are going to be probably 10 yet again. And it'll be either Chicago. It most likely will be. They Chicago. should see if they can get the 10 seed, like trademarked or something for that. They, they should. We should like, we absolutely, but I just, I don't like, I, I know I'm like discounting a whole bunch of our friends in the North. I understand that. I just want like, what is Scotty Barnes going to be in year two? And what is it, what is he going to be with a year full of film on him? Like, is he going to be closer to that Kawhi Le Leonard level, or is he going to is he going to have some of those issues that Lamelo Ball had, where he kind of took a step back a little bit? I I do wonder. Like, that is a concern for me. So I can easily see Toronto back in the play-in, and that's okay. There are going to be regular season games that matter this year in yeah. both conferences, and that makes me excited. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you think needs to be discussed um, as a with the Hornets? Um, honestly, this team is better. I, I think this, and it's something that we've talked about overall with this team, though. But this team is going to be a lot better than I think people understand that they will be. And I want people to understand that hey, they lost Miles Bridges. Yes, completely understand. This team has a lot of young talent. And they're really, really good at developing that young talent. I would not be surprised if this is a team by committee that ends up winning, messing around and winning 39, 40 games. Maybe more if Miles Bridges comes back. But 
that I, I think this team is going to surprise a lot of people and surprise people in a good way, hopefully. If not, this is like literally burn this tape. Is that a sentiment that is accepted throughout Charlotte, though, that better than expected is 40, nope. 41 wins? Because I've seen you on Twitter arguing with people uh, who believe that it needs to be playoffs or bust and that it's a team that's going to be in like the mid 40s or whatever. Do you, uh, this is the, and I hate to put it this way, but the Charlotte Hornet fan, average Charlotte Hornet fan has seen a lot of trauma. They, have not they've seen this team move they've seen this team be the worst historical team in the league ever um they've seen a lot of disappointment they've seen this team rebuild multiple times they've seen ownership send off Kemba Walker in the most uh just kind of disrespectful way possible granted they were right they were right about it yeah. but the way it was handled the way it was handled was horrible um I would tell you that they have every right to be jaded. They have every right to be kind of bitter about this team, but they're also, they, they carry a lot of baggage. And if you're a Hornets fan listening to this, you know, what I'm talking about when I say they're carrying a lot of baggage, you need to let the baggage go. And I think a lot of the baggage that they carry will taint how this, they look at this team and it's happened multiple times it happens to me sometimes, but at the same time, a lot of this offseason was put on at the feet of the Charlotte Hornets when it really wasn't their fault. And I think we kind of forget that point. Like a lot of this is out of their control. And once the entire league sees the whole Miles Bridges situation, like you can't do anything. You're basically done. For anyone who skipped the intro, are you able to tell them where they can find you and what you'll be working on this season? Um Again, they can find me at Not of the Scribe. I will be working a lot with the Ion College basketball team. We are coming again. We have a beautiful YouTube channel that I built, like I helped build, and um, a lot of our content is going to be really, really good. And especially if you are into draft, if you are into the NBA draft, we are doing a lot more on focusing on a lot of the young freshmen, Derek Lively, Kyle Filipowski. We are going to be a lot focused on that. So even if you aren't really a college, college basketball fan, we will have you covered on the NBA side. It's just the non-Victor Wembyama stuff. Like, if you're looking for Victor, we're not going to have him. Not yet. But if we're talking about college players that you are looking for, again, and we're talking about Nick Smith, the Derek Livelys, the Kyle Filipowskis, those guys, we're going to be talking about them early and often a lot. Kanata, this was great as always. You were way too generous with your time. I really appreciate it. As you know by now, I will be pestering you again in the future. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe now that I'm podcasting more, I can try and steal you for a midseason podcast, not just these annual look aheads. But thank you so much for doing this. It's always a blast talking with you. Absolutely, man. Talk to you soon.